Welcome to Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Guy Soprano. We're continuing our Tartan Talk series by having a conversation with the newest member of the American Society of Golf Course Architects, Trey Kemp. Trey was elected to join the ASGCA earlier this year, and he recently attended his first annual meeting, which happened to be here in Cleveland, Ohio, near our headquarters. Trey spins some good Texas golf stories on the podcast, and he also gets into some of the considerations an architect has to make with turf grass selection and designing a golf course to fit the turf grass variety that's selected. He describes what a golf course architect can do to help a golf course overcome some of the challenges presented by weather. Yes, there's some crazy weather in Texas. And he's also going to get into some of the success he's had working in the municipal sector. But before we get going with Trey, we'd like to thank Better Billy Bunker for supporting this podcast. Better Billy Bunker is not only a big supporter of the American Society of Golf Course Architects. We saw a few members of their team here in Cleveland for the ASGCA meeting. They're also a big supporter of a number of industry efforts, including the work of golf course superintendents. So we're glad that they're on board, and we're glad that the newest member of the ASGCA, Trey Kemp, took so much time to join us. Well, Trey, it's great to have you on the podcast. I'm really excited about this conversation. And the first thing I'd like to get to here is you attended your first American Society of Golf Course Architects meeting here in Cleveland near our home offices. What did you gain from that experience? I didn't know what to expect going into it. I've known a few people in the society and kind of got bits and pieces from them. But, you know, showing up, I I got there a little bit late, so I I was not able to to ride the bus to the first function that evening and just happened to see Chris Cochran and Jim Wagner in the lobby. And they said, well, why don't you hop in with us and we'll give you right over there. So in the first moment on, just met a ton of people and just the camaraderie of all the members was, was amazing. It was, it was fun to see just people talking and not so much about their business practice or anything, but just about golf and life and it was neat to see a bunch of golf course architects just in that setting talking and visiting where they're not usually when they're around each other it's in a interview setting and they're uh it's a competition so it was it was neat to see see these guys and talk to them and you know hear stories and just a bunch of a bunch of stuff like that is is probably what I'll take away most from the meeting just getting to meet a, a ton of great guys and girls and you know, just the stories that, that I heard and things that I learned. You know, being a golf course architect is different than being a golf course superintendent or assistant superintendent. If you're on the maintenance side, you go to the same place every day and work with the, the same team. How, I guess, isolating, lonely can it be being a golf course architect? And how important is it to have the type of peer-to-peer interactions like the ones you had earlier this month? I think it's very important for every, you know, for the 15 or 16 years I've been in the business, I've either worked for with a couple guys in an office or, you know, whether it's me alone or me with one other guy. So it, it does get very lonely. You're on, on the road a lot. You know, your friends, peers become those guys at the golf courses, the superintendents, their, their crew, the guys, you know, working on the construction staff. So to have an opportunity like this once a year just to get together with other guys that are going through the same thing, travel and everything. I think it's very important. And, you know, after attending one, I can see that it's really, really more important than I even thought before. I, I thought it was great. So you get a bunch of golf course architects in a room together or at a, at a dinner table or out on the golf course with each other. What are you and your peers talking about these days? What are some uh, areas of golf course architecture that are hot topics right now, Trey? Well, you know, obviously we, we do talk a little bit of golf. Um, of course, the whole 
you know, we could do a whole series of shows on, you know, kind of the distance debate right now going on in golf. That definitely comes up. Of course, the strategy, you know, what type of bunker sand, bunker liner, or whatever you're using. Then, of course, you know, we're we're on one. We played Kirtland the last day we were there, and it looks like they had just done some drainage work on the green. So that sparked a conversation in our group for probably an hour as we're we're going along just talking about different ideas, how we've built greens differently, the XGD system, which it looked like they were doing out there, all gamut to the talk about different golf stuff. And then obviously getting to know people, talking about family, um, where you're from, what you like to do, all that good stuff. And of course, right now it's college football season or, you know, professional football season. So that, that took a big chunk of time. You know, I, I played golf with Trip Davis one day and he's a big Oklahoma Sooners fan. And being in Texas, you know, that was, it just, just so happened that Texas OU weekend was, was that week. So that was a, a big topic of conversation for us. So that was fun. Well, we know from firsthand experience that Tripp loves to talk about college football because when we recorded our Tartan Talks with him a few years ago, there were definitely a college football conversation. Who's your team, Trey, living in Texas? Well, I, I grew up in Amarillo, so up in the Panhandle. Um, I was always grew up. My parents went to Texas Tech, so I grew up a Texas Tech fan. I went to school there for several years, so they've been my, my team forever, and I am I'm used to a lot of mediocre football. So, you know, we've had a couple of good years there with, with Mike Leach, and hopefully we can get things turned around here shortly and, and get, get going again. But on the flip side, you've had some great basketball seasons to follow recently. Yes, and, and that's that's been great. You know, we lost uh, Chris Beard to UT this year, but um, actually Mark Adams, the new coach at Texas Tech, I, I grew up, kind of know him pretty well, and I, I think he'll do a great job, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to this season. So you grew up in Amarillo. Explain your route to becoming a golf course architect. Wow, that's, it's kind of a long and winding road. I, I kind of got into the game of golf. My, my grandfather was a, you know, big into golf. He loved loved playing, you know, played three or four times a week. He lived in a, a small town called Haskell, Texas, which is about 3,000 people. They had a little nine-hole golf course, push-up greens that, you know, they might have been 2,000 square foot each. So not much on the design side, but that's kind of kind of where I learned to play. And just from there, just really had an interest and passion in golf growing up. I didn't really know how I, you know, I, I knew I wanted to be something sports-related uh, for my career, you know, since I was, I was really young. So, you know, I thought maybe I'd, you know, get into coaching or do something like that. And then while I was in school down in Austin, I was at Texas state down actually in San Marcos, which is just South of Austin. I, uh, I got a job at Onion Creek, which is a, a country club, 27 hole facility, birthplace of the senior tour. So I was, I was lucky enough to get a job, uh, working in the back room, kind of picking the range, doing, you know, the kind of the entry level stuff there, and really enjoyed that. Started working a lot, and they they moved me up to work in the pro shop. I ended up becoming an assistant professional, and it was then that uh, kind of while I was doing that, uh, Bill Corn and Ben Crenshaw had just uh, built another nine at the course, and they were renovating the original nine. So I, I was like, you know, what is Ben Crenshaw doing out here, not playing golf? So I kind of you know, peeked around and kind of looked at what those guys were doing. And that I was like, wow, this, this is what I want to do. So I, you know, was able to kind of talk to them a little bit, talk to their business manager, uh, Mr. Sayers a little bit. He kind of, they gave me some, 
some good ideas and putting me in the right direction. So I eventually went back to get my landscape architecture degree in Arlington. And uh, while I was in school there, I worked uh, for Dallas, at Dallas National on a maintenance crew to kind of get that side of the, the business experience. And uh, I guess my, my last year at UTA, um, I was looking for an internship and called around and asked a lot of people and Rick Jacobson, um, whose office is up in the Chicagoland area, up in Libertyville. They just just so happened that they needed somebody, and they they thought I would be a good fit or were just being nice and were really busy. I don't know which was the case, but uh, went up there, did an internship, and you know fell in love with golf course design. That got me in the door. I came back to UTA for a semester and graduated and went straight back up to Chicago for a few years had some family, you know, medical stuff go on. So I, I decided to move that back down to Texas and then was lucky enough to, to get on with John Colligan, who I worked for, for about 13 years or so. So it's, it's been a good run and, uh, had a, had a lot of fun doing it. So here you are two decades later after working at Onion Creek and Bill Corr and Ben Crenshaw are receiving the ASGCA's Donald Ross award at your first ASGCA meeting. Were some of those memories running through your head when you were at the banquet here in Cleveland? Oh, Oh, without a doubt, that's, you know, that's all I could really think about is just kind of where I started from, those guys getting that award. And actually, I was able to talk to, to Mr. Crenshaw after they accepted the award and kind of kind of mentioned that that happened. And, you know, I, I appreciated what him and, and Mr. Core did and helped me out and just pointed me in the right direction. So it, it was neat to get to talk to him. And he kind of relayed how his relationship with Jimmy Demerit, who kind of started Onion Creek, um, so he had he had some fun fun stories about Onion Creek, and it was it was just a a neat neat night all around, especially just seeing them get that award, which you know there's no two guys more deserving than those two. So that was that was a fun night. For our listeners that aren't familiar with Texas, Onion Creek's one of the spots in Texas golf. A lot has happened there over the years. What, what did you learn just by being around? that club and that golf course that still help you today in the business? I think going into it, uh, I, just the basic things I learned there, just the day-to-day golf operations, um, kind of what goes into setting up for a tournament or just normal day-to-day play. And then we were the front line taking the questions for the maintenance crew and having to relate to those guys what was going on. So so hearing Hearing what members thought about the course or what we were doing um, was interesting, and you know, you know, interacting. Jamie Kaiser was the superintendent at the time. Um, he's still down in Texas, running around, but uh, he was very, very helpful, kind of to anybody who wanted to, you know, learn a little bit more about that side of the business. And it, it was fun seeing seeing those guys do their work. And while I was there, we actually hosted a. It was the Harvey Pinnock Invitational for a, it was an LPGA event, so it was there for three years. And just seeing like Annika Sorenstam, Laura Davies, those type of players come through there and play the course, it was it was neat to see seeing how a you know a championship golfer plays versus you know your average everyday member or me or you know whoever else. So that was neat seeing that and seeing how the course was set up for pros and everything, and then. You know, another part of it was just the history of Onion Creek and learning about Jimmy Demerit and all the great, you know, Sam Sneed, Don January, Chi-Chi Rodriguez, Lee Trofino, Arnold Palmer, you can go on and on. All the guys that have played out there in that uh, in that tournament was pretty neat. And just that that probably led me down a road of, of getting into more of the history of 
golf and golf course design and tournaments and stuff. So I would definitely say that, that working at Onion Creek definitely uh, gave me a good foundation moving forward. You've worked on the pro shop side and you've worked in golf course maintenance. Having done both those jobs in the past, what have you learned over the years about what golfers want in a golf course and a golf experience? Well, I've learned, you know, the, the pro shop experience is everybody thinks the group in front of them is playing too slow. So, <laughs> you know, they want, they want to speed up and have everybody speed up and play faster. And then on the maintenance side, it, it all basically comes down to just everybody really wants to have good greens and good tees to hit off of. Everything in between, yes, there, there might be a lot of talk about bunkers and fairways and everything but at the end of the day i think if if a golf course has has good interesting greens that are maintained nicely that that seems to satisfy you know 89 percent of the people in my view everything about texas golf and texas golf history is fascinating when you look at the champions that were developed in the state you look at the variety of golf courses you look at some of the architects that have worked there what golf course architects did you study once you realized that you wanted to go this route and what have you learned from those particular golf course architects Obviously, getting into it, Corin Crenshaw were fairly new into the business, but you know, just seeing their work firsthand, kind of studied their stuff a little bit. They had done Sand Hills, which was you know obviously amazing. So looked at their work and have studied them as time goes on. But you know, as far as the kind of the early guys, studied Donald Ross a lot. Just there's so much information through the Tufts archives and books and just the vast amount of information on him and the vast number of golf courses that he did. And the thing that stuck out with me is just what a quality routing of a golf course does to the golf course. You know, I, I think that's the most important thing. If you get the, the routing correct, everything else, yes, there's some people that you, there might be different tweaks and stuff that you can do to make, you know, each hole more interesting and everything. But if it's really getting that flow from one hole to the next and just that, that variety through the golf course and that's that's where the routing comes so uh i would say donald ross definitely somebody big that i studied and then um i'm a huge fan of george thomas played riviera and bel-air and several other of his courses been to ojai um and just out there you can kind of see what his routing was and man i i i could you know if you told me i could only play another golf course forever I mean, you could just Riviera or Bel Air. I, they're but they're so fascinating, both of those to me. I I love those courses and just kind of the beauty and elegance he put into um, some of the bunker work and just the the shaping of the land and the obviously the routing is are, are incredible there. And when I went to to work in Chicago, there's a few uh, McDonald and Rainer courses up there, Chicago Golf Club and. Shore Acres, got to go see those, and I had never been on any golf courses anywhere near that. So just engineered look that that those guys did that fascinated me. So I've I've studied them and just have really learned to appreciate what those guys did strategy wise and just just how they went about doing their stuff. Okay, approximately how many golf courses in the state of Texas have you been to? And I'm going to give you a chance to brag about your state. What makes golf in Texas uh, so special? I think there is a right around 900 courses in the state, and I would estimate that I've, I've played a third of them, and I bet I've visited about 400 of them, so not quite half. So I've, I've, I've got a long way to go, but I've, I've seen quite a few. And I think uh, Texas is so big. It's such a big state. Some people 
this not to go on a little tangent here, but they have asked where where are most of your projects, and I say, well, ninety percent of the work is in Texas, but one job can be in Amarillo, one's in McAllen. Those that's that's a thirteen hour drive to get between those two spots. So, it, you know, it's a it's a big space. But uh, back to your question, the the golf. I think you hit it on the head. Just the variety of terrain and climates in the state just make the golf courses unique and different. Um, there's not a, a ton of the historic great courses like you have up in Cleveland. We do have, you know, Colonial, Brook Hollow, River Oaks, you, you know, those type of courses. But it's, uh, I, I think, just the variety, the weather, and then something about that um, has produced unbelievable golfers from, you know, Hogan, Nelson, Trevino, to now guys these days like Spieth and good friend I grew up with, Ryan Palmer. That just just a bunch of good good golfers. I, I don't know how and what makes the state of Texas the quality of golfer here good, but uh, it might it might be the variety of courses that we have have in the area. You also have a variety of uh, conditions and weather patterns that that roll through Texas uh, parts of the state, especially in the northern part are conducive to warm and cool season grasses, how do turf selection and maintenance philosophies factor into your golf course design decisions, Trey? Yeah, that's a, a great question. We uh, we did one one job in my, my hometown of Amarillo for a municipal course, uh, Ross Rogers Golf Complex. They have 36 holes there. We did the Mustang course probably, shoot, I guess eight or nine years ago now. But the overriding talk throughout the whole project was turf grass you know what what are we going to do they had old probably common or 328 bermuda in the fairways and you know up there it, it didn't green up until you know late may early june and it started going dormant you know about this time in october so it didn't green up very long so you know we we talked long and hard we even you know we even threw out going bent grass fairways for a while and that was to pick up a little steam but kind of backed off that we went with all cool season grasses in amarillo we did bluegrass fairways tees and then uh, bent grass greens so you know you go from that extreme to there's a course in lajitas they have paspalum so you're exactly right it's it's such a diverse climate here and you know kind of the dallas fort worth area where i live we're stuck right in the middle of it and um just the the debate of Bermuda, Zoysia, fairways and bent grass greens versus Bermuda. And now there's a couple, you know, couple places toying around with the idea of going with the the some Zoysia greens to try it out. So it it's a big factor, and I I think that just it's something I'm obviously know a lot about. I'm not the expert. That's the superintendent or the you know we'll bring in a regional agronomist or the USGA to help. But uh, I think if you can get the architect and the superintendent involved in talking and if they can come up with a, a solution they think will work with the resources they have i think um, that makes everybody from the board or the city or the members that they feel more comfortable and and moving the way that th- those guys suggest trey do you ever design for the turf variety you understand what i'm saying here does, does bent grass play different than zoysia grass than bermuda grass once that turf selection is made does that affect the design decisions that you make? Um, I would say a little bit, yes. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, as every golf course architect will probably say, you, we really like firm and fast conditions. It's pretty easy in Texas to get that Bermuda pretty firm and fast and running. 
you know, when we were in Amarillo, the, that was kind of the one, a little bit negative of the bluegrass, just keeping it, can we get it firm and fast up there all year long? And, you know, they do a, they do a really good job of doing that. So, and as far as the greens, yeah, that's definitely something playing with the, the, the green speeds these days, keeping the pinnable areas to two or 3% max is, is definitely mandatory just because it's firm and as windy and as everything gets around here, uh, definitely have to, to keep those things in mind while designing. Uh, needless to say, there's some incredible weather extremes in parts of Texas, including there was a severe freeze earlier this year. What can a golf course architect do to help the courses you work with overcome some of the challenges that unpredictable weather may bring to them? Well, yeah, that was definitely a unique, unique time this year. I think we had, uh, three days in a row where the temperature didn't get above zero and that's never happened in the Dallas Fort Worth area um, as long as they've been keeping records. So it was unique. I, I lost power for three days. So, you know, it might start there. We just need to figure out how to get power going before uh, <laughs> even we think about uh, doing work on the golf course. But um, no, to answer your question, I think it, what can an architect do? I, I think there's, there's several things, you know, just knowing, Knowing a courses or a club's resources, as you know, everybody's having having issues now. Just keeping and retaining employees. There's a there's a course here we've worked on that you know they usually have ten full time staff, and they're they're down to uh, the head superintendent and four staff right now. So it's very important just to don't set up a, a course like that with very high inputs or very detailed maintenance practices where they can barely barely do that on a day-to-day basis and then when some uh major weather pattern comes in they're they're definitely they're so far behind they can't catch up i think also there's a lot of deferred maintenance around like tree trimming and tree removal looking back you know going to kind of visit some of the courses we've worked on a lot of the areas that were heavily shaded and didn't come out of that freeze for you know several days after that that's where a lot of winter kill happened and everything so i think i think it's a good practice to try to help convey to those clubs the members and everything that you know we need to get on a schedule of trimming trees and nobody wants to have to tell people to 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 remove trees but you know that's definitely a necessity just to get the sunlight and the airflow going and i think i think some of that would would have helped a few of these courses around, but at the same time, I I don't know that it would have fixed everything. So that's that's definitely something going forward that we we definitely need to look at as a you know as architects or and superintendents and just as an industry and what what can we do to to help in those times. You've worked in all sectors, but you and John Culligan have done some awesome work in the municipal sector. In fact, a few years ago, myself and managing editor Matt Lowell got to see Texas Rangers Golf Club, and we were blown away by how awesome that place was. Just how rewarding has it been over the years to uh, provide golf for the masses and better golf for the masses with some of the municipal projects you've worked on? First of all, thanks for the kind words about Rangers. It was it was fun having you guys out there. I know, I know the course and the city were excited to have you all come out and take a look at it. But one unique thing I've learned over the years is um, working on municipal courses, you know, 10, 15 years ago, everybody wanted to work at the private club or build a new course. And we kind of got in with a few of the municipalities around here. And they're usually a very close-knit group. You're working with a, a small group of people. And they, for the most part, most cities, they hire 
you as the expert and they, they trust what you're going to do. And, um, of course they're, you know, they have their two cents and ideas and stuff, which obviously take into account, but from day one, the, the whole planning part, designing a course and opening it up for, for everybody to play, not just a certain segment is, is a lot of fun. And I like to play golf and I like to take, take my friends and family out to play golf. And it's, there's not much more fun for me to, to take people. I, I know just, out to a course that I've worked on and, and see how they enjoy it. And, uh, hopefully they like the course, but it's just, it's fun seeing them hit shots and try to try to get through the course on and see how they think through a course that, you know, that I've designed. So it's, it's definitely been, been very rewarding work in, in the municipal sector. Yeah. And some of the projects that you worked on uh, were, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years ago. I'm sure those courses are super busy Right now, I'm sure they were busy after you reopened them, but what type of ROI is there in high-quality municipal golf based on what you've seen and heard from the clients you've worked with in the past and are working with now, Trey? I can give you two pretty good examples right here in the DFW area. One, um, in Dallas, uh, Stevens Park is a course we did. Actually, they just had their kind of 10-year anniversary of us reopening the course. Um, that was last week. So it was a lot of fun to go out there and, and see how the course has matured and everything, but... I'm really good friends with the director of golf there, Jim Henderson. And, you know, we have talks back and forth of, you know, what's working, what, what can we improve and everything. And he keeps going back to the, the renovation work. He didn't realize what a boom it was going to be for the golf course. I think the year that they, the year before they shut down to do do the renovation, there was, I think almost 29,000 rounds played there. And then every year after they've had at least 50,000 rounds. So, you know, they've done half a million rounds in the last 10 years. So they're they're doing great, very healthy, um, couldn't be more pleased with the course. Um, and then over in Fort Worth, we did Rockwood, which that was, shoot, that's been open now four or five years ago. Heritage Links built that for us. And that's a project where um, it was a golf course and, you know, it's a, it was built in the 30s by John Breedemus. Ralph Plummer came in and did a, a little tweet, a few tweaks in the 60s, but you know, since then it really hadn't been touched. So it was in really bad disrepair. They were probably doing less than 20,000 rounds a year, and they were losing uh, around $300,000 a year um, for I don't know how many years before we we shut it down. You know, talking to those guys in Fort Worth, they, I think last year they were they were positive. They made about you know, half a million dollars. So they've, they've turned it around almost a million dollars a year in revenue. So I think if it's done right and you have a, a city that's behind you, that's willing to put resources in and um, it definitely, definitely is worth it. And one cool thing is just seeing the, the employees that worked there before that have stayed on and work now, just uh, the pride they have in the course and they're excited, more excited to go to work, just knowing, you know, the enhancements that have been made and, it, it it's fun to see that side of it too. Where are the opportunities now for you, Trey? What type of uh, calls are you getting? What type of projects are out there in the area you work with? Just kind of take me through what 2021 and what 2022 and 2023 could be like for somebody in your situation. Sure. Working on another master plan for a course for the city of Fort Worth. So that's exciting. Um, it's, it's fun working with those guys. Also, I think is I talked to a lot of other architects, you know, at the meeting, a couple weeks ago, and everybody seems to be getting a lot of calls right now, which is great. One thing that I've been working on this year is uh, some routing concepts and 
things for a potential resort here um, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area would be a 36-hole facility, which would be, for me personally, that would be incredible to do something like that. And then getting calls from, you know, other courses to do startup master plans, which is always good. And then one one little thing, working with John, we always got these, occasionally got these calls from people to come and they wanted something done in their backyard. And, you know, we'd always be like, well, you know, that's, there's a lot of good, you know, synthetic turf guys and give them recommendations. And then there's those couple people were like, well, we actually have 20 acres or we have five acres and we, we want to do a, you know, golf course or some holes in our backyard. So we've done that a couple times. And, uh, I've been talking to a, another guy here in town to, uh, kind of do another, another one of those. So those are, I don't know if it's your traditional golf course project, but they're, they're actually, you know, the, the few that I've done have been, been a lot of fun, you know, getting to know the, the people who live there and just, uh, it's a real specialized job, but it, they're they're a lot of fun. So hopefully, hopefully all these things keep going and um, the industry stays strong. You're one of the younger ASGCA members. Uh, how do you handle the highs and lows of the profession, and have you gotten better at that over the years? Um, I think definitely so. It seemed like you know working for Rick Jacobson and then for John Colligan. We always were pretty steady, and then with John, we got really, really busy for a while, and it was just the two of us, so it was constant. You know, we have, I think one year we had 12 or 13 jobs under construction, and then having to find the new jobs the next year, we we were doing good for a while, and then I, I think things kind of came to a little bit of a downturn. Uh, I think we, we forgot to... The jobs just don't come and fall in your lap all the time. You need to go out and look and look and be searching and talking and everything. And I think that's one thing I've learned just to, uh, you know, if things do get a little bit slower, it's just that's a great opportunity to go visit people and seek more courses and just meet people just because, you know, it might might be six months, might be two or three years, but, you know, those guys and girls, they're, they're going to need work eventually. And when things turn around, um, Hopefully they'll they'll remember you and uh, and reach out then. So uh, that that has been a big lesson I've learned because there are definite highs and lows and uh, just kind of leveling out all those and all the expectations. So it's pretty clear that you love golf, Trey. How rewarding has this career choice been, and what would you be doing if you weren't involved in golf? Oh wow! Um, the first answer to your question um i you know i think the the coolest thing to me um is probably i have a nine-year-old son and just he's finally he's into all sports and finally kind of dipping his toe into golf a little bit and just being able to take him out to a course that i designed and have worked on that's that trumps you know any accolade or anything just seeing his joy for the game and you know just asking wow dad you you worked on this you did this so that's that's been pretty special um and of course you know we had at the rangers golf course we had a corn fairy event this year so it was it was neat seeing those guys go and absolutely tear it up i think the winning score was 2500 but that was a, a lot of fun to see those guys do that joining the sgca that was been a long time goal of mine so that that was a it's been a neat year in that aspect and going to my first meeting so that was that was awesome and as far as what would I be doing if if not, you know, I do have a, a landscape architecture degree, so that's something I uh, dabble in 
you know, when the golf times are a little bit slow. But if I wasn't in this industry at all, I'd probably be a coach or do something like that. I, you know, just love sports and basketball in particular. So I'd probably, who knows, maybe be a junior high coach somewhere. I don't know. I think most of us are wired the same with uh, sports and competition, Trey, that work in this industry. You mentioned that you, you have a landscape architecture degree. Do you, do you use those skills at all on, on golf projects? Yeah, definitely. I think I think there's certain um, concepts, you know, from landscape architecture that tie into golf course design. You know, there there's a lot of things in school that I that I take into that. And of course, you know, there's as far as, you know, the vegetation, the trees, the, you know, native grasses, ornamental grasses, stuff like that, that, that all, that all comes into play and kind of knowing what to plant in what region and where and all, all that definitely, definitely helps out. So um, I, it's, I know a lot of golf course architects do have a landscape architecture background or a civil engineering background. So I, I definitely think the, the landscape architecture background has helped me out for sure. In your mind, Trey, how can golf course architects help golf sustain some of the momentum that's been generated over the last few years? Where's the role of the golf course architect right now in this uh, golf surge? You know, that was that was a question that uh, at the meetings a couple weeks ago that was posed to all of us. Now, one of the, I forget who it was, answered with, we just need to get people and beginners, kids, women, whoever we just need to get golf clubs in their hands whether it be on a miniature golf course at a top golf facility anything that we can do just to get them get them into that that atmosphere and you know once you go putt a few or hit a few balls then hopefully we can we can get those those people to the course the short courses that have been popping up the cradle and everything like that that those are huge getting people in involved there's a lot of places I know Winter Park in Florida did it, that just a, a large putting green or a putting course that anybody can come and use for free. It's You don't have to come and play golf, but I think that definitely uh, gets people in the neighborhood and people juiced about playing golf. And then, you know, maybe even if, if it helps adding forward tees, I, it obviously can't hurt. But uh, for those people who are getting into golf, um, being able to tee it up a little bit closer, I don't think it's one major major thing i think it's just a lot of little things if we can can just uh help help keep the interest going and get people playing golf that's that's just going to help everybody well trey this was a lot of fun thank you so much for taking the time thank you for everything you've done to make golf a better game in the places that you've worked and thanks for entertaining us every day with the golf course aerials you post on social <laughs> media so yeah thank you for everything and uh look forward to chatting with you again soon yeah thanks guy i really appreciate you having me on and it was it was good to come to cleveland and and see your hometown and and have dinner with you so that was that was a lot of fun i i appreciate it